0: So this morning, we're going to start um, a little bit differently. But here's what I want to do for a second. I'm going to ask you uh, to interact with me on something for a moment, OK? And I promise you, if you agree to do this, if you're one of the volunteers, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to try to embarrass you. I'm not going to like, make you juggle or do anything that's going to make you look silly. This is just a question that I'm looking for a few of you to answer, OK? And the question that I want you to think about that's, I hope, going to help us get into our text for today is this. If you think about your life, what are you so excited and into and passionate about that you want others to get into it and to be passionate about as well, okay? And just so we don't super spiritualize this thing, I want you to know I've asked several people this question this week, and one of the most frequent answers I've gotten is Topa Chico. Okay, I just want you to understand like where the bar is when I ask you this question because people are like, yeah, Topo Chico, man. Like before I moved to Texas, I'd never heard of Topo Chico, and now I drink it. If I go to a restaurant and they don't have it, it's like I don't want to eat here anymore because water is just water and sparkling water is just sparkling water, but Topo Chico, and you know, and I want others to have Topo Chico and uh, everything. So I just want you to understand the kind of thing. So it doesn't, you know, whatever it is for you. Uh, whoever it is for you like whatever kind of thing what are you so passionate about that you want others to experience it what's the kind of thing that for those who know you if they if, if they could answer it for you'd be like oh yeah this is what she's totally into and she keeps pushing it on the rest of us or this is what he's totally into and he keeps like asking us to to do it or be a part of it what is that thing so I need a few hands just volunteers let me know yes magic gathering card game. It's card game. magic Gathering. Magic Magic the Gathering. I've now proven how old I am that I have no idea, but I'm going to take that. Hold on, I'm going to go. Uh, yes? Mentoring children. Mentoring children. Okay, great. Black Mirror on Netflix. What's that? Black Mirror on Netflix. I can't hear you, sorry. Black Mirror. Black Mirror on Netflix. Again, how old and out of touch am I? I'm sure it's good. Yeah. Pentatonics. All right. This is good. This is good. I know all of you others. We're going to just, we're going to stay here. Is there one? Because I don't want to be discriminatory on this side of the, because we trust the left as much as the right. So yes. Making music. Making music. All right. So this is something, and whatever it is, and hopefully all of you, have, it's like, I love this one. Now, for those of you who answered what these things are, what was the process where you became so excited about this, you wanted others to hear about like how did you get to that point that it's like I want others to know about this or experience it what was that process like to get to that point of excitement what's that experience it, experience it right I mean I would assume that's I assume that, that you didn't just uh, read an article about mentoring and go that's my thing and I'm going to go tell everyone else to do it as well you went and did it and in doing it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is something amazing, and I want others people to, to do is Black, Yes? card game I've never heard of. Both of you guys are cooler than I am. But my guess is it's the same thing, right? It's not that you like heard a lecture about it. You're like, oh, that's what everybody should do. But maybe you were exposed to it and then you went and did it. And then it's like, oh, somebody else needs to come and do this. Making music is the same way, right? What I want you to see in this is this pattern. Is that no matter what it is that you and I would say in answer to that question, I am passionate about this and I want others to do it as well. It doesn't start because you heard a lecture on it or read a book on it or saw a blog post about it. That might have been the entryway but where that passion came from was that you experienced it and then you thought I want others to experience this as well okay once you keep that in mind as we look at our text for today we're still in this journey through Luke in chapter 5 starting in verse 17 and this is what it says it says one day while Jesus was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. And then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, stand up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen strange things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray together. Lord, no matter who we are or how we walk in here, I pray that this morning we would encounter you, the holy, the divine, and that we would be changed forever. We pray all of this and for nothing less. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So friends, anytime we're looking at scripture, you both want to pay attention to what the words actually say, but what also the words actually mean. And you want to look behind the words to what's taking place that you can uh, let the scripture come alive to you that's more than just learning the words and memorizing the words on the page. And this is one of those texts where it's awesome to do that because this is one of the most bizarre, strange, and in some ways funniest scenes that exist in the Bible because you got to put yourself there. These guys went up on the roof of a house and tore the roof off the house. Like, you've got you, to hear that, and you've got to take that in. These guys went up on the roof of a house, carrying their paralyzed friend on a bed, and tore the entire roof off one section of this house. Now, it doesn't say that they were roofers. Doesn't say that they came prepared for this. Doesn't say they had tools and didn't say they had experience in it. Most likely what happened is that they encountered uh, uh, no way to get to Jesus because this house that Jesus was teaching in had uh, been filled with people what we've seen already in Luke is that Jesus' ministry is growing. And so where is this house used to be able to hold people who would come and heal, uh, who would be healed and they would hear his teaching? Well, the numbers are growing. And all of a sudden on this day, they show up with their friend and there's so many people there that they can't get in. And so rather than giving up or waiting for Jesus to come outside or, or seeing what would happen next, they haul their friend on this bed onto the roof of the house, probably don't know whose house it is. They don't even seem to really care. Then they climb up onto the roof themselves and with no tools and no equipment and no preparation only most likely with their bare hands they punch their way kick their way through the roof of the house like imagine right now if that happened right? Like imagine right now if there was like this banging and it got louder and we're sitting here. And we're, at first we're trying to act like nothing's going on or then we wonder are the kids upstairs kind of running wild, and then we wonder if a pipe's burst and then all of a sudden there's like dust and there's pieces of roof and insulation and stuff that are like falling on our heads and, and that's what it was like. And you got to put yourself there and like what were they doing? What did Jesus do? Did he act like it was normal? Did he just keep teaching? You know, did he kind of look up and go, "We'll wait for you"? No, no, no. Go ahead. You know, like, did he feel annoyed inside because it's like, "Hey, I've worked really hard preparing this lesson, and now no one's listening because they're all looking up." Like, what did, what was Jesus doing when that happened, and what were the people doing? Like, are they kind of like wondering, like, "Are we supposed to say something, or it's hard for me to hear?" Or are they kind of like, "Shh, you're being disrespectful." You know, it's like, what's happening is like dust. And it says that there were tiles on the ceiling. This wasn't just like straw. These people were having to punch their way through the tiles, tiles and dust, is like falling, is it falling on Jesus' head? What are they thinking when this guy on a bed all of a sudden like starts being lowered in? Again, they didn't just like, it wasn't just a little hole to listen to Jesus teaching. It's a big enough hole to lower an entire bed. I don't know if it was a king size mattress or what, but regardless, lowering it I don't know if they use ropes, you know, it was like kind of in one of those movies like Titanic when they're lowering the boats, like, oh, you're too much on this end. They're too much, you know, it's like lowering it down. They're kind of putting it down. Like, what are the people thinking? Are they like, you're cutting in line? We, just because you didn't get here before the house was filled, and we did, and we got here with the people that need to hear and experience Jesus, doesn't mean that just because you ripped the roof off the house that you get to get cut in front of line. We do think we know how church is done. It's done decently and in order. And this is neither decent nor is it in order. And there is a line of people waiting here to see Jesus, and you will wait your turn. What is the homeowner thinking in this moment? Yeah, is it covered? Are you are we insured for this? You know, do do is this part of like the ministry budget that covers roofs like after this? Does Jesus healing power include like tiles and beams to like put this back together? What does the homeowner think the first time there's a clap of thunder in the distance with what's gonna happen? You see you gotta look beyond just the words and to start seeing what's it's a bizarre scene, and yet it's also one of the most beautiful scenes that we see. Because in the midst of these strange actions, there is an an embodiment of friendship, of community, and of faith that is stunningly beautiful. Sometimes we have different and we have the wrong scoreboards in our life and our culture. For many of us, we feel better about having friends based on the number of followers we have on Instagram or friends on Facebook And we find some sort of worth when we get 200 likes uh, on a picture that we post. And that may be fine, but I would rather have three friends like this than 300 people who like a picture when I put it on social media. There's something beautiful and powerful that is taking place here. But that ultimately, guys, this isn't a story of friendship. It's not just that they became friends and they were really, really good friends, but it's that they are an embodiment of what faith can look like says when they lower the man through the holes and the hole in the ceiling, Jesus looks at this and he acknowledges that what's unusual is their faith. The words that are in the scripture is it says he sees the faith of the man's friends. He sees the faith of the man's friends and says, number one, your sins are forgiven. And then number two, eventually he says, so get up and walk. He sees the faith of the man's friends. This is a story about faith, not just friendship. And the question I'd like you to think about this morning is this Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have the kind of faith that you would literally be willing to rip the roof off a house with your bare hands to get someone in front of Jesus? Do I have that kind of faith? Do we as a community have that kind of faith? And if not, how do we begin to develop it? How do we begin to develop that kind of faith? Because I don't know about you, but when I see the picture of this, I look at this and go, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. This isn't just doing church. This is about exposing ourselves to the healing power of Jesus and trusting that he can do something in that. So the question from this text is, how do we get that kind of faith? Now I want to make another jump. We talked about what lies behind the text here, but I want to make another jump that's not in the words here, but I think it's very apparent. How do you become that passionate about something? We just answered that question, didn't we? It's not because you hear a lecture on it or read a book about it. I don't believe that these guys heard a rumor about Jesus and then ripped the roof off a house with their hands. What you do if you hear a rumor that Jesus might be able to help is you maybe take your friend there if you have time between things in your day and maybe you wait outside or say, sorry, I've got to go run errands after this. I don't have time to wait. We can't get inside. We'll come back another day when he's back in town. You don't tear the roof off a house with your hands and lower your friend down inside. What I bet is that these friends had not just heard about Jesus, but what gave them this kind of faith was that they had experienced the presence and power of Jesus themselves. It's experiencing it that builds that kind of faith. We would make a mistake if we left here going, right, so we want to be that kind of church. That's the kind of faith we're going to have. We're going to decide. That's like a New Year's resolution. We'll keep that for two days and then break it. That faith is developed when we experience the presence of Jesus and how we talk about that and how we describe that here at Covenants. We talk about these behaviors of solitude and community and service. I hope if you've been here before, you've heard about this. This is how we organize the ministries of this church. What we talk about is that as you and I are exposed to encounter Jesus, we posture ourselves, we position our lives to experience the presence of Jesus through these three disciplines, through these three behaviors, that we are to follow and encounter Jesus in solitude, in our prayer life, in reading scripture, that we're to live in community, and that we're to call and serve. And when we have those three things in our life, that is how we position ourselves for these experiences, and that's what develops our faith. If you want to have a New Year's resolution, look at your life in terms of how it reflects these three behaviors and then think about how 2019 could go even further into them. What would it mean to in solitude say that we have prayer life, we want to have an intimate relationship with God, that we want to encounter God individually and personally each and every day through the reading of scripture, through prayer, through our devotional life? What would it mean to be in community where that we believe that what the scriptures say is true, that we are not meant to walk alone? And you can have 3,000 followers on Instagram and be completely lonely. We are meant to be known by people and have others who know and love and pray for us. And finally, we are called to serve in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in our city, and in our world. Solitude, community, and service. But through the lens of that text this week, I want us to invite us to do it this week in a particular way. Because what we see in this passage, and we're going to see it throughout the Gospel of Luke, is that the people who encounter Jesus personally and in community and through acts of service, that they are people who are in places of need. Jesus comes into those places that are hurting or broken. And it's there that we encounter him. And so this day and this week, what I'd invite you to do is to think about if we want to be this kind of place, if we don't want to just do church and have committee meetings, if we actually wanna have more than just a healthy institution, if we wanna experience the power of Jesus and to carry others to Jesus, we first have to be willing to be carried ourselves. Not tell others we're gonna go carry you, we have to be willing to do it ourselves. So first off, what would it mean in solitude this week to name to God what it is, is the pain in your life? It might not be as obvious as this person who can't walk, but all of us are the paralytic in different ways. All of us have pain in our life. All of us have loneliness in our life. All of us have hurt in our life. And what would it mean, rather than just acknowledging it, or or, or to to sit there and name it, and to name it again and again and again to God? What would it mean in solitude daily to hold that in front of God and say, what are you going to do with this? We say that you are Savior and Messiah. We say and sing that you bring beautiful things out of this. Well, God, here's my pain. Here's my hurt. Here's my question. Here's my loss. Here's my raw spot. What are you going to do with it? Maybe you pray that in anger. Maybe you pray that in desperation, and that's okay. But name it and name it honestly and hold that before God just as these do. What would it mean to do that in community? What would it mean that when people ask how they can pray for you in your D group or in your small group, what would it mean for you to actually answer that honestly? What would it mean for you to be able to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just going to answer this prayer request by kind of hitting a four iron down the fairway and making sure I'm safe and avoiding the bunkers. and everything? What would it mean to take out your driver and go, if you want to know how to pray for me, you really want to know what's going on in my life, this is how you can pray for me. What if you trusted others the way that this man who has paralyzed us and allow somebody else to hear how they might carry you to Jesus? What would it mean finally? to seek to serve others, that if we can start building that place where we share in our honesty and in our authenticity about what our life and what our prayer needs are, that someone else is going to start doing it as well. And then we take on a servant's heart with them where we're both carrying somebody to Jesus just as we're being carried to Jesus. And we're the ones who take on the mantle of texting them in the middle of the week to let them know that someone's thinking about them, to let them know that somebody cares, to let them know that someone's praying. What if we were the ones who prayed for others who are hurting and carried them into the presence of God? Trust that Christ can heal, trusting in that power. The way we start having that kind of faith is that we don't tell others to do it, we have to begin by doing it ourselves. If we take this seriously, then what it's gonna look like is that you and I at different points will be both the ones who are carrying people towards Jesus and we will be carried ourselves. Leadership works differently in the kingdom of God. It's not just the people who are always going, yeah, I can carry people, I'm strong and I'm moral and I've got everything together and I can do this and as soon as I carry one person, I'll come back and grab someone else. That's how we think of leadership, the glittering image of leadership. What leaders in community are who are this kind of place are people who are just as comfortable carrying someone to Jesus as they are letting others know how they need to be carried. It's different in the kingdom of God to create this kind of beloved community. I've been thinking about this this week because I had a phone call this week from an individual who I care a good bit about, uh, I care a lot about, who is the first boss that I ever had in ministry. A guy named Scott Weimer, who's not a name that most of you know, but he, for almost 25 years, has been the senior pastor at North Avenue Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. This is the first church where I ever had a job. Scott, as a head of staff, took a chance on me when I was an underqualified seminary student with no experience in college ministry. But he gave me a chance and hired me for 10 hours a week to start working with college students at North Avenue. And that experience changed my life. As the ministry started to grow, the number of hours that I worked started to grow. He was a great boss in terms of he wasn't a micromanager. He let me try things. He let me experiment with things. He let me fail. He supported me publicly when I failed and uh, and was just amazing in that. There's not many people that get that kind of opportunity no matter what your vocation is. He let me be creative and to think differently in all kinds of ways and to listen for the voice of God reason I've been thinking about Scott is that I had a phone call this week that he has announced this morning in their worship services that he is retiring from pastoral ministry. And the last almost 25 years, as I said, have been at North Avenue. He's going to be retiring in May, and he wanted to let me know about that so, so that I didn't hear it through the rumor mill, which I was grateful for. I've been thinking about Scott this week and giving thanks for him. And, and between now and May, when he officially retires, Scott will have all kinds of wonderful things said about him, and he deserves it. He, he has been a great leader. He's been a great pastor. He has carried many people towards Jesus and sought healing for them. They've had building campaign there. They have a big, uh, beautiful new addition to their campus. Church has gotten younger. It's gotten multicultural. Uh, there's just a number of things that, that have happened under his leadership that have been wonderful, and he should be celebrating. He's got a great resume at the end where he can look and go, this has happened. But what Scott embodied for me more than anyone else was he gave, he was the kind of leader that all churches need to become the beloved community. He was the kind of leader that didn't just put himself on a pedestal and say, I can carry the people to Jesus. Pastors have an innate need for that to be seen in that way. And many times you all let us live that life, which is not genuine. But we like it. And actually, congregations can like it. But Scott embodied what a different kind of leadership looked like in the kingdom. And I saw that most clearly about a decade ago. When Scott called on a Sunday, an emergency session meeting. He called an emergency session meeting to happen between the two worship services at the church, and he informed the session that day that he needed to take some sort of leave of absence from the church because he and his wife had become convinced that he had an addiction to alcohol and that it was beginning to take over more and more of their life. It was destroying parts of him, and that he wasn't able to hold things together for any longer, and that he needed to seek healing. He didn't know if they would want to keep him in his job. He didn't know what would happen, but he was at the end of his rope and needed to seek healing in this. The session gathered around him and immediately said, we want you here, we love you, we will support you in what you need to do. But then what leadership in the kingdom looked like was what took place after that. Scott left that meeting and walked into the primary worship service at North Avenue and climbed into the pulpit and told the entire congregation in his sermon that he was an alcoholic who was struggling actively with his disease and he felt like he was losing and he was going to need to leave for some amount of time to seek healing. Now I need you to know something. I don't think I've ever seen courage like that before because I know plenty of pastors who need to be in rehab for different things and the ones that don't go it eventually destroys them in very public and horrible ways that hurt people and congregations I've known some who have gone into rehab I've never known of one who told the entire church before they went but what he did is he took a chance. He's usually handled it in a more corporate, a more buttoned up way, where it's called something else and they just leave for a while and come back because it saves the pastor embarrassment and it saves the church embarrassment. Scott took a chance that the way that people were going to respond was to say, we trust in the healing power of Jesus, and now let us be the ones to pick you up and to carry you and your family in love and in prayer into the presence of Jesus, trusting that you can be healed. When Scott finished his sermon, the entire congregation stood in applause, not because it was the greatest sermon they had ever heard, and not because they were giving thanks for the struggle he was going through, but it was a way of signifying, we will carry you as you have carried us. And for this wonderful church in Atlanta, that was a watershed moment that took them even into a deeper place of trust and honesty and transformation and healing for all kinds of people because Scott showed them that the way that we become that community is not carrying other people and it doesn't begin by telling other people what they should do. It begins by saying, here am I. Needing the power of God in my life, and would someone come walk with me as I seek the Lord? There's a poster that I love that I saw one time. It was a poster of a plastic bobblehead of Jesus, (laughs) if you can imagine that. This plastic bobblehead of a big smiling Jesus who's doing this, but the title above the poster was Don't You Just Hate Plastic Christianity? This is what it looks like to want more. To not be satisfied with just doing committee work and being in a church, but to believe in the trust and trust in the healing power of God. This week, may it begin with us in solitude and community and service seeking the healing power of the Lord for ourselves, for those we love, and I promise you if we do that we'll never be the same again amen? amen amen let's pray lord we ask this day we ask this week that we would encounter you in our places of need and our places of pain and our places of brokenness that we would not just read stories about people who are carried into the presence of god but that we would seek your healing ourselves that we would seek it by allowing others to carry us so that we might be transformed and have that faith and that assurance of what your power can look like. May it begin with us. And may we see your power flow through our lives and our church and our world. We pray to take this step of faith, this day and this week, and we pray it in Christ's name, amen.